You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Swift fraud hits an Indian lender. North Korean hacking continues even during the DPRK's Winter Olympics charm offensive. The U.S. indicts Russian influence operators. The Internet Research Agency is the leading defendant. Russian trolling continues exploiting the Florida school shooting. And the alleged shooter apparently expressed his intentions online. And all five eyes see Fancy Bear behind NotPetya. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, February 20th, 2018. In 2016, the Bangladesh Bank was the victim of fraud committed via the SWIFT International Fund Transfer System. Recently, banks in Russia have reported similar fraudulent transfers, and over the weekend, a small commercial lender in India also reported robbery through SWIFT exploitation. On Sunday, that country's City Union Bank said cyber criminals had hacked its systems and transferred nearly $2 million in three unauthorized remittances to lenders overseas. The bank blocked one of the transfers, $500,000 designed to move through a standard chartered bank account in New York to a lender based in Dubai. A second transfer, 300,000 euros, roughly $372,000, was routed through a standard chartered bank account in Frankfurt to an account in Turkey. In this case, the Turkish lender involved prevented the transfer from being finalized. The third transfer went through. It traveled to the Zhejiang Rural Credit Cooperative Union in Hangzhou, China, via a New York Bank of America account, and that successful remittance amounted to $1 million. It's worth noting that, as was the case with 2016's raid on Bangladesh Bank, the security issues appear to have been on the bank's end and didn't represent a general compromise of the SWIFT system itself. The Bangladesh Bank heist has generally been attributed to the Lazarus Group, the North Korean government hacking unit, but the City Union bank fraud is so far unattributed. It's also not known who was responsible for 2017 SWIFT-based raids on banks in Russia. That country's central bank said last week that cybercriminals made off with 339.5 million rubles, it's about $6 million, over the course of the year. Its ongoing charm offensive in Pyeongchang aside, North Korea has continued cyber operations against its customary targets. And according to a study by security firm AlienVault, worms developed by the DPRK continue to circulate. Some are unsophisticated, some more so than others, and some have the appearance of developmental articles that got loose from their creators. These include WannaCry, of course, and also the Bramble family of malware that's been in circulation for nearly 10 years. Two other worms that are out and about are Rivets and Fedavore, both of which have been served by North Korean news agencies. Rivets has been found in the Voice of Korea website. Favador has infested the Korean news agency. 
Both of these appear to have initially hit targets within the DPRK. Favador is thought to be associated with the Dark Hotel threat group that's aggressively prospected government and business leaders who have some interest in North Korea. There are reports that a DPRK hacking unit has decamped from Hong Kong and set up shop in the Russian Far East. The Japan Times reports that a North Korean cyber ops group formerly based in Hong Kong has left the Chinese city in an apparent attempt to evade enforcement actions by Hong Kong authorities. They now appear to be operating from Vladisvatok and engage mostly in cybercrime designed to redress sanction-induced North Korean financial shortfalls. On Friday, the U.S. Justice Department announced an indictment based on special counsel Mueller's investigation of election influence operations. Three Russian organizations and 13 Russian individuals were charged with conspiracy and other crimes related to activities during the 2016 election cycle. St. Petersburg's Internet Research Agency is alleged to have played a significant role in what it itself called, quote, information warfare against the United States, end quote. Their activities seem to have consisted of a mix of conventional espionage and social media-enabled propaganda. Among their more interesting accomplishments are alleged to have been the organization of political demonstrations in which unwitting people disposed to believe the worst of their opponents were induced to attend astroturfed rallies. During the election season, their activities were directed against eventual Democratic candidate Clinton, first in support of her primary opponent, Senator Sanders, and then with a big push for her general election opponent, Donald Trump. After the election, the Russian ops put on a couple of resist actions against Trump. Discord and mistrust were the overarching goals of the alleged Russian operation. Such operations are widely expected to continue. And apparently, they are continuing, midterm elections or no. There are reports of Russian trolls exploiting last week's Florida school massacre with various pro-gun messages. When the opportunity arises, they can be expected to move to anti-gun messaging. The goal isn't any particular policy, but rather a weakened, confused, and divided United States. The alleged shooter in that massacre, by the way, seems to have been a known wolf, disturbed, lone, and not apparently part of any movement. He is said to have disclosed his intentions in various social media. A person close to the alleged shooter called the FBI tip line on January 5th about him, and in September of last year, a YouTuber also contacted the FBI about him. He had left a comment on a video saying, I'm going to be a professional school shooter. But the January tip seems to have been particularly detailed and disturbing. Florida authorities say the Bureau failed to alert them to the danger, and Florida's governor has called for the resignation of FBI Director Ray. The FBI itself says it failed to follow proper protocol and that it's investigating how it handled the tips. The Bureau says it covered, quote, Cruz's gun ownership, desire to kill people, erratic behavior, and disturbing social media posts, as well as the potential of him conducting a school shooting, end quote. In fairness to the Bureau, which does indeed seem to have been supine in this case, local authorities dealt with a lot of red flags, too. The Broward County Sheriff said his office had responded to about 20 calls about the shooter over the last few years. Finally, to return to Russian cyber operations, they're not all confined to propaganda. All Five Eyes, that is the intelligence services of Australia, Canada, New Zealand, the United Kingdom, and the United States, have now looked at NotPetya and see the same thing, a Russian government operation. They receive public industry support from FireEye, which sees the work of the Russian Sandworm Group 
in last year's pseudo-ransomware campaign. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration, Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Rick Howard. He's the Chief Security Officer at Palo Alto Networks, and he also runs Unit 42, which is their threat intelligence group. Rick, welcome back. Um, You know, you and I have touched on the notion of capture the flag contests and the importance of them. Um, You all have an event coming up soon. You're partnering with the University of Alabama. So uh, besides plugging that, I thought maybe we'd revisit this notion of the importance of these events. Yeah, you, uh, you and I have talked before about the shortfall in open cybersecurity jobs. Some people predict that by next year there'll be 2 million jobs open, meaning that the commercial and government organizations around the world have open jobs for cybersecurity positions but will not be able to fill them with qualified people. Uh, so in order to help that, we're experimenting with how do you get more people interested uh, in cybersecurity, and one way you might do that is with Capture the Flag contests. Let's talk about how even harder the problem is. You know, it sounds easy. Just train people and they can be cybersecurity people. But it's a really trenchant problem. And here's one of the issues. We're not hiring enough women and minorities into these cybersecurity positions. In the tech industry in general, women make up 25% of the workforce. And if you look at cybersecurity specifically, they only make up about 11%. And if you add an adjective to that identifier, say a black woman or a Hispanic woman or a religion other than Christian, that number drops below 1%. Yeah, that's, that's not good numbers. 
Okay, so but even if you're not a diversity inclusion fan like I am, all right, uh, if that's not your passion project, let's just say you're trying to fill, you know, some of your vacancies out there. If you are just being practical, in order to fill these two million jobs, you need to expand the potential poll of candidates. That means that at least half of your candidates have to come from the female gender. Even I can do that now. <laughs> all right. So, I mean, what, let's get out there. Let's hire more women. Uh, what, what's keeping us from doing that? Well, you know, as is always the truth in the world world, the problem is way more complicated than you think it is. Okay. It turns out that you have to get a lot of things right to be successful here. So first, you have to keep women and minorities that you already have employed happy in your workforce yeah. that, and, you know, happy that they're there. So, and what I mean by that is if the environment is toxic for whatever reason, you know, there's a bro culture, culture or there's unconscious bias against women and minorities, or even if there's conscious and sanctioned bias against them, women and minorities are not going to stick around. So we have to fix that issue. Second is uh, you have to develop a culture within your own organization that is pro diversity and inclusion. If you ever want to hire new employees, you know, and that means that leadership of the, your organization has to stand up and say that diversity and inclusion is an important part of the company culture, not only because it's the right thing to do, but because a more diverse group gives us better ideas about how to solve the company's problems. This is a leadership thing, and more old white guys like me need to stand up and own this thing, right? Uh, and then lastly, this is the hard part, okay, you have to hire qualified people. I am not suggesting that you have to lower your standards uh, to hire you know, these employees you, that you want. What I'm saying is if you are hiring for an open position and if you are wading through a stack of resumes, if at least half of those candidates are not women and minorities, you're doing it wrong. But uh, OK, so but let me play devil's advocate here. And, and uh, you know, how, how about getting women into the pipeline, women and minorities? I, I've heard uh, hiring people say I'd love to hire these people, but I'm not getting the resumes on my desk. Yeah, you know, I just don't accept that notion. Okay, uh, you're, uh, the Cyberwire helps out with the women in tech conferences. Um, I attended the, the Grace Hopper conference last year. That's the They claim it's the largest gathering of female technologists on the planet. Mm -hmm. And I got to tell you, um, I couldn't collect resumes fast enough because there were so many talented women there. Right? But it is true okay, that too many young women, sometime between their junior high and high school years, they tend to lose interest in STEM subjects. And I had to look it up because I always say the word STEM, but I never remember the acronym it stands for, science, technology, engineering, and math. Mm -hmm. right. So as a community, we don't really understand why that happens that well, okay? But you can't really argue that it isn't happening. One potential solution is to find ways to keep young women, as early as elementary school, engaged and inspired about the cybersecurity field before they start to lose interest, because it's really tough to capture them again once they walked away. So what my organization is trying to do, uh, uh, what many are trying to do and what we're doing this next in the next couple of weeks is organize cyber events for young people. The idea is to capture their interest early and keep them interested. So we're hosting one on February 24th um, at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. We're running a capture the flag contest organized by the school's grad students. We have some 20 high school teams participating and Palo Alto Networks is giving away $20,000 of scholarship money for the mm. winners. So help me understand here that why uh, Palo Alto feels that this is a good place to invest this kind of money. Yeah, you know, uh, it, you know, and it seems small, right? You know, t you know, 20 teams is not that big, right? But here's the thing. There are hundreds of these cyber events going on in the country right now. Uh, and, and that must mean that everybody thinks it's a good idea is why I bring this up. 
here's a problem that I've noticed though. We're all stovepiped. Okay. No one group is talking to everybody else. It's tough in that environment to judge what is working at a national and international scale and what is not. I think this is a perfect thing for a government agency, maybe DHS to get behind, you know, organize a national cyber event program where we could collect everybody under one umbrella. I don't mean they own everything. I just mean they could, you know, everybody's part of this big organization. So we could figure out what organizations need resources. Uh, we need, we could collect some stats and we can share what's working and what's not. Okay. This is one way we could scale the effort. And, you know, I've heard from from the people who do the hiring that these capture the flag contests are ways for people to differentiate themselves on the resume side. Yeah, I mean, I, and you can definitely pick out the talent. I mean, we've done this one at the University of Alabama. This is the second year we've done it. When we did it last year, you can definitely say, oh, I want to get that guy's information or that person's information because uh, they're going to be talented and they're going to be great for us going forward. All right, Rick. Well, good luck with the event. It's uh, coming up at the University of Alabama. We uh, hope you get lots of people come out for it. Thank you, sir. And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Vaughn, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.